The Bible is to be more than read. It is to uh, be related to. It is a supernatural book given from God through man uh, so that we might know about God and how to relate to God. All right, welcome back to the Disciple Nations podcast. This is episode three. We're excited to be here this morning. We've got Sam McVeigh. Hello, good to be back. And we also have a new friend at the table. His name is Nasser, and you're going to give us your last name because I can't say it. El Gahatani. That, that was it. That's very cool. Yeah, it's pretty great. So, Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we're excited to, to dive into our topic today. But before that, uh, with Nasser being here, we want to give him just a moment to tell us a little bit about who he is and what he does and um, we'll see if he uh, if he can do that <laughs> we'll in see. under 10 minutes. So That would be challenging. <laughs> so. Yeah, I do a little bit of everything. Yeah, so uh, my background, uh, former, oh, let me get closer. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so my background is a uh, former Muslim. I grew up in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and uh, met Jesus along the way uh, after God brought me here, um, radically changed my life and uh, gave me a, a deep affection for um, this book that we're talking about this morning mm. and uh, to study it, to teach it. Uh, and uh, over the last 20 plus years that I've been following Jesus to really to, to see him in it and see the entire Bible as a, as a unified story that makes us hungry and thirsty for more of him. Mm in our lives. Um, and I think that, uh, when we engage the Bible, um, that that's, that's the intended outcome is, is to want to seek him, to seek deeper relationship, to know him more, mm -hmm. um, to know the author of this amazing book, um, written through so many other, uh, human vessels over a long period of time. And so, yeah, that's one of my main passions though, obviously because of my background, I do a lot of equipping around the areas of, of outreach and evangelism to, uh, to Muslim people and, and people from you know, Middle Eastern backgrounds. Um, but you know, even when I do that, it's any kind of evangelism, no matter who it's to other, you know, to Muslim people, to, to Buddhists, to atheists, whoever, um, the goal is always the same. I want to, uh, reveal Jesus and, uh, lift him up and trust that, uh, when people really see him, they can't help but but have a res response or reaction. Yeah. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Nasser has a really powerful testimony of coming to know the Lord and just a lot surrounding that. I don't know if there's anywhere like online, like nasserstory.com or is nope. there somewhere that we Absolutely. can listen? Yeah. If you go to crescentproject.org, right on their front page, they should have some link. Uh, I think it's actually called Nasser Story and it'll give you a little written out uh, portion of my testimony. And I think even at the bottom of that, there's a, a short video that can be shared online. And soon to come, I hope a podcast on DN, the Nasser story. Oh my goodness. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I say, let's do it, man. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah. So, so check that out. Crescent project dot org dot org. And yes. then look for the Nasser story link. Yeah. I would, um, highly, uh, admonish you to, yeah. to check that out. Yeah. I mean, any story of the Lord coming yes. and revealing himself to a man that, um, needed him in a big way. That's definitely worth the listen. So excited about this morning. We have, um, a topic on hand that we want to tackle and it kind of falls into the same vein of what we've, we've talked about in the first two episodes. So episode, uh, one, we talked about the Jesus hermeneutic, which is reading the scripture through the lens of Christ and not through an ism or anything else. Uh, or specific doctrine. And then we kind of applied that in episode two to Romans chapter nine, which I know has been a, a great podcast for people to listen and uh, listen to and watch. Uh, got a lot of, uh, I guess, excitement surrounding that. And so this kind of flows in that same vein. And the topic for today is how to relate to your Bible. Right. And so I think that's a great topic because it's our uh, initial inclination as believers in Christ with new believers and even our brothers, you know, read your Bible. Have you read your Bible? Read right. your Bible. We make it such a, a big part of the Christian life and it is, but I think oftentimes uh, we don't give enough tool or understanding or lay enough foundation to give people a, a way to dive into that into a health, you know, in a healthy way. Yeah. And so 
I think we're going to try and tackle that today. Is that right? Yes. That, you know, and I think you, you, we're sitting here biased a little bit because we three are all teachers. And right. so we've actually had a love affair with the word. We, we're just self-motivated. The reality is, though, a lot of the body of Christ, it gets in sometimes a religious spirit. And um, there is that prayer in the word, prayer in the word. And people struggle with those two things at a, at a, at a major way. So we hope that this discussion will help for the larger audience increase um, a desire and an understanding, uh, remove some complications, um, impart some vision that will actually stir hunger to be in the word, to love the word. And, and to know, I think I would say is that not everybody's called to be a teacher. So, uh, but that's not why we're doing this. So we can equip you to be a teacher. Uh, we're doing this because this again is a supernatural book right. <laughs> given right. from God through human vessels yeah. uh, for our good. The scriptures say in Hebrews 4, 12, it's active and living. Right. And so it's not like any other book. It's the, it's the, it's an unbelievable gift to us. And so yes. we'll talk a little bit about that. So we hope to kind of lay that out a little bit. Right. So, so real quick, mm. just, um, in line with the title, how to relate to the Bible. So, so break that down a little bit more for me, as far as relation is concerned. Does that mean how to make it relevant or how to read it properly or yes and yes? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I think as you think about it, and Nostra might want to say something about this, when you, when you think about reading a book, a novel, you're reading it and the story is inspiring you. But I wouldn't say in, in the sense we're talking that you're relating with it. With the, with, with the scriptures, what we're saying is that, yes, it's story and there's history, good history, but it's got this living voice in it that is the Lord, the Lord himself is, he's not the Bible, but he's released the Bible and incarnates himself, if you will, in a certain sense through the scriptures. And so we have dialogue, the Bible, because we read it over and over, it becomes language with our prayer. It, it establishes a culture of language and heart of relationship with him. So we use the word relationship. Yeah, no, that's good. I think you made a good point where you said the Bible's not the God. And I think oftentimes we kind of fall into that trap and we forget that there's a living risen savior Absolutely. that we interact with, but the scripture is used to point us to him. That's right. right. And so it's the, the father, son, and the Holy spirit, not the Holy <laughs> Bible. But that being said, the Bible is our point. It's, it's like an Ark of the covenant that carries the glory of who this God is and how he's relating with us, puts parameters around it because there's so much deception and war that goes around it. So where we began then a couple weeks ago was Jesus being the center uh, piece of the scriptures. We use the word hermeneutic as in a lens of how we view it. So the Bible becomes alive there. And we would reiterate that at the beginning of this, that we don't know how you read this Bible until unless from beginning to end, Jesus is the centerpiece. He testified about that. We did some examples of showing how that happens. We see in the scriptures too, Jesus's value for the Old Testament is what he would have had at that time. He's creating the New Testament at that time, but he he's quoting the Old Testament in profound moments. I mean, he's doing it constantly and the writers are, especially of the gospels, but when he wars with the enemy in Matthew four, Luke four, yeah. he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's right. lifting up Deuteronomy to actually bring power attack against the, the enemy. So, and he'll talk about the man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So these words are not just informational that tell me about my God. Mm -hmm. They're, they're impartational right? and that they give life into the inner man about not only the ways of God, but they, they, they just issue forth life to us. Right. And what you just brought up is exactly why I think this topic is so relevant, especially today, because I think if you asked the, the average um, American churchgoer, um, what, what's your go-to book in the Bible when it comes to intense spiritual warfare? And I think we probably all three agree that Satan himself coming and personally uh, tempting you and derailing yes. you from your assignment or tempting to, that's, that's pretty much the most intense spiritual warfare you can be in. So which, what would be your go-to book and how many people would say, well, Deuteronomy, of right. course. Right. No, not many. And that was Jesus's. And so that shows us right off the bat, our, our perception of, of the, the value, especially of what we call the old Testament. And, and I honestly, I, I kind of hate that, mm. that word, um, mm. because it, you know, calling it old gives it the impression that it's, okay. it's not for today. Right? right. And, and what's a Testament, you know, um, in Jesus's day, they likely would have called it the, uh, the Mikra which means um, something that's read, 
the thing that's read, the reading. Mm-hmm. And, and that really described their, how they, how they viewed these scrolls. And it would have been in his day, 24 scrolls, um, wouldn't have been in a nice, you know, we kind of have the, the nice, you know, books and we embroidered with our name, Brian, <laughs> our name on it. It's <laughs> my book. The scroll has your name embroidered on it. You, yeah. You there you go. It, you yeah. Left Bible study last week. <laughs> yeah. It was completely different, um, way that they accessed it, how they accessed it, how they read it, you know, in the time of Christ in the first century, uh, it would have been very unlikely that, you know, Mary and Joseph would have had a whole collection of the Mikra in their home. Right. And so it was someplace you, you had to make an effort to go to a place where it was stored and to, to be able to, to, to read the, read it yourself or have it sit in the presence of someone else reading it. And there's, there's really an art form to, to reading it in the Hebrew and, and to read it the right way to the, so much of it. I mean, there's no other way to say it. it's, it's brilliantly written, brilliantly written, not just in, in, in the poetic pieces, but even in the prose and, and how there's, there's a sort of a, a rhyming rhythm to, to certain phrases and certain words that appear that if you're in a habitual practice of hearing large portions of it read week after week after week, and then meditating on those things. And, you know, we live in a a short attention span society, but back then I think our, our, our forefathers had a little bit longer attention span and, and they could listen to something being read for hours and retain quite a bit more than we do today to the point that they could be, because what, what does it say in Deuteronomy about these, these teachings that it was expected that not only you would hear it and meditate on it, but that you'd actually be talking about it. If you're a father, you're talking about it with your children when they, when they get up, as they go throughout the day, as you lay them down, that this is supposed to be, as yeah. you know, Sam said, uh, 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 it's giving us a language, not only how we talk about God and talk to God, but even how to, how we relate with one another in the family and in the community. Hmm. Yes. That's interesting. So, um, I just had a thought and you can tell me if, if you want to go this direction, but as far as like you, you talked about how, you know, not even in just the, the poetic parts of the Bible, but it's kind of has a structure and, Mm -hmm. and the way that you would read it. But so that made me think about how the Bible is, um, it's different types of stories and writings. And I think that's crucial in understanding how to relate to scripture because it's narrative, it's prophecy, it's Mm -hmm. poetry, right? It's yeah. So maybe kind of break that. I think that's great. And I'm going to throw that to Nasser because knowing how the old Testament or whatever we're calling it now, uh, the scriptures are, are okay, great. (laughs) Um, are laid out is, is, is fundamental for yeah approaching that. So tell us how the old Testament is laid out. Right. Well, First, to, to, what, yep. to your point about the the different styles of writing, and that that is definitely a thing. And and what's really interesting is a lot of those things overlap. Mm-hmm. And and I think we with our people in Western culture, we we want to distinctly categorize things. Well, this is narrative. Well, this is prophetic. Well, this is poetry, mm-hmm. but in scripture, a lot of these things overflow and weave together. You know, Job is mostly, um, poetry, but the, the kind of the prologue and the epilogue are not, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain books like Daniel that will actually switch languages in the book from Aramaic to Hebrew. Did you know that? I did not know that. And, and there's a reason why, and it, it's, it's showing you, I mean, we could pick a whole episode about Daniel. I think why I think that it does that, but and Ezra and Nehemiah is the same way. Like Ezra and Nehemiah is a single scroll, but we break them up because a portion of it is written in Aramaic and a portion is Hebrew. But I think it's meant in, in Jesus' day, they would have read that on a single scroll. And that's meant to say something, that it switches languages like that, mm. you know, between what was the common language of the nations around them to the language that was very much the language of Israel itself. Mm. And that was very, that says a lot about where the community was and how they were transitioning and, and in Daniel, how they were transitioning, you know, into Babylon and, and settling down. And they thought this was going to be a short stint. Right. And then they'd be able to come back and Daniel finds out, oh, actually, no, <laughs> it's going to be a lot longer. This exile is going to last a lot longer mm-hmm. than, than what you, you think it will. Um, and so the, the sections of the Bible as, as uh, in, in Jesus's day and in the, the day, of the first apostles, you know, they would have seen the, the, these scrolls, these 24 scrolls, 
um, divided into three sections. The, the first would have been the first, what we call the first five books, um, the Torah, which some people in English translate that into law. I think that's a bad translation. I think a, a more accurate would be uh, teaching. It's the teaching of Moses. And when you call it the teaching, of course, to me, that, that, that uh, uh, implies the question, what is it teaching about? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it isn't teaching us about laws. And that's why I hate when we call it the law. It's, it's teaching us about God. It's teaching us about mm-hmm. his character, it's his revelation, his purposes, his purposes for man, his purposes for um, this planet, this good world. You know, he tells us seven times that the world he made is really good. And if you're hearing this story for the first time, I, I think you're supposed to look around and say, well, well, then what happened? <laughs> right. Right. Because yeah. there's, there's some good in this world for sure, but there's so much evil also. And so, and, and it explains that in the very first three chapters of Genesis, it explains, you know, how it got there. And then we have this, this, that this small little story that we see in the first three chapters of Genesis kind of stretched out narratively over the whole rest of the book as it's, you know, then we see the same things kind of play out with, with a single family that, that eventually becomes a, a, a tribe that becomes a nation and these same cycles play out. And then, you know, by the, by the end of, uh, those first five, the teachings. And, and I think if you had a point at, you know, what, what uh, human character is most prominent in, in, in those books is probably Moses, right? We spend more time with Moses right, than anybody right. else in those first five. And it's really interesting that it, that it ends. So they, they saw that as a, as a, uh, a distinct section of the, the Holy Scriptures, and it ends at the end of Deuteronomy with a part that probably Moses didn't write, which was, I'm paraphrasing, uh, and then Moses died, and, and nobody knows where he's buried, and man, we've never had a prophet like Moses. Mm-hmm. That's how it ends, yeah. which is, it's a really interesting way to end that section to make you think, yeah, oh, for the good old days when we had a shepherd like Moses, if only there was somebody like Moses that would come again, mm-hmm. that could lead us like even better than Moses. If such a thing could see how that is right. already really making you thirsty for, yeah. um, a person, uh-huh. another person. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then you have the second section, the middle section, which, um, in Hebrew is, is, uh, the Nevi'im, which uh, means the prophets. Yeah. And this is, it makes me chuckle because I think if people looked and saw what they would have placed in, in that middle section, it would be surprising to a lot of people. Like, I think if I talked about like the, well, the 12 minor prophets, mm-hmm. um, are in there, that wouldn't surprise anybody. And in fact, in, in, in Jesus's day, those would have been all on a single scroll. And so they're sort of all mm-hmm. read, mm-hmm. like all 12 of them, yeah. you know, back to back to back, you know, in a reading. And I think when you read them that way, you notice a lot of patterns and repetitions that briefly get interrupted when you hit Jonah. And I think that's intentional because I think Jonah's meant to mess with us mm-hmm. um, and uh, kind of hold up a mirror, keep us from thinking, oh, these stupid people. And then we read Jonah and we're like, oh, no, it's yeah, us. That's us. It's yeah. us. <laughs> um, it's right. us he's talking about. Um, but but books that I think you would be surprised to find in there. Um, yeah. You know, you've got the the what they would call the former prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But also Joshua, Judges, mm-hmm. Samuel. Okay, yeah, I can see that going there. And then Kings. Right. So in Jesus's day, if you, you know, open up a scroll from the prophets, Jesus, and read to us, and he started opening up Kings, would you think, oh, you pulled from the wrong pile? <laughs> but that's how it's meant. To, yeah, it's historical, yeah. but it's, they would have understood it in the first century as historical and prophetic at the same time. Now, yeah. you know, I know it, it, in our tribe here in, in Wichita, like we don't tend to have a problem with using passages out of Joshua and, and applying them to today and saying, no, this is, this happened, but it's also prophetic and it's pointing yep. forward to God's purposes and how he works through his people and all of that. But I think within the, the larger body of Christ, I think that that is a struggle right now mm-hmm. because we sort of, we've kept the first five books intact, but we've taken the middle and, and third sections um, of the Mikra and we've kind of jumbled them all together um, and not given the prophetic books, what, what in Jesus's day they would have seen as the prophetic books, the, that full prominence that I think they're supposed to have. Right. In, in talking about how to relate to our Bible, 
I mean, you're talking about some things that I've I've never known or even found in my study. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, to go from um, new believer to like, I understand why the books are in this order or aren't in this order. And yeah. I understand that they're all interwoven together. Like how, help us maybe kind of get to that place somehow. Like, is well, it just through your desire to know more that you've studied and come across it or, and, and how imperative is that to us relating sure. to the Bible? Yeah. I think the more context you have for the scriptures, the better. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wouldn't say that that's, that's a barrier to entry. Like right. the best thing you can do, um, you'll start to notice a lot of the patterns and you'll start to notice how these various, you know, scrolls all interact with one another. Um, even when, you know, some of them were written hundreds of years apart and yet they, they have the same, uh, author's kind of signature on all of them. And it's, it's really pretty, pretty amazing. But for me personally, how I sort of stumbled into this stuff, because I, I did, definitely didn't hear it on a Sunday morning, you know, in, in church service, any of this stuff. My Sunday school teacher did not cover this. No, it wasn't in the Lifeway material or anything like that. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, not, not, not knocking any of that sure. stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but how I sort of stumbled into it was very early on um, after I became a follower of Jesus, I, I sort of got invited by my, my brother um, who'd become a believer also at that point um, to a little... Like, I didn't know it at the time, but it was basically a little house church meeting. Nobody called it that. Um, this is like in the year 2000 before it was really cool and hip to have house church. And uh, but it was just, you know, a couple, you know, about five or six, you know, young people, college age who would get together, you know, like on a Thursday night or whatever. And they they'd pray together. They they'd worship together. And then they do some some equipping from the Bible. And it was led by a guy who was the, the first um I guess you could say Messianic Jew I, I had ever met. We called him Rabbi Bob. Mm, nice. um, he, he was as, as uh, ethnically Gentile as you could get. He you know, had blonde hair and, and blue eyes and all of that. But he, he was just really in love with, with Jewish culture and understanding the, the Jewish traditions, especially as they related to the scriptures and all of that. And, and uh, that was when I began to see Christianity as not a, a Western religion. Mm-hmm. See, in, in my upbringing, that's how I'd always viewed Christianity. It's a Western religion. Judaism is a Jewish religion. And I didn't think that they overlapped at all. Mm-hmm. And then I started to understand, oh, so Jewish Christian doesn't just have a Jewish root. Well, yeah, actually, that makes sense because I think all the apostles were actually Jews. <laughs> Right. right. You know, with the first messengers, you know, were ethnic, ethnic Jews and had a Jewish me, uh, a framework of, of the world and, and how they viewed themselves and God and the other nations and all of that. And those were the first carriers of the gospel out mm-hmm. into the world. And then yeah. somewhere along the way, it kind of became all it's a European thing. So would you say and because I remember the first time I thought, oh, yeah, Christianity did not originate in the United States of America. And I was like, we're not the center of the world. (laughs) Yeah. And then, and then I thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm a Gentile and I, I don't understand Jewish culture and I don't understand the history and I don't understand the context. And, and so then how important is it? So uh, us at this table being Gentiles to maybe explore some of that history and culture to, to have a deeper revelation of Christ and relate to our Bible. Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, as he said, it's not an entry point, but it, it enlarges, it's an enlargement of my appreciation of the understanding of what, what the Lord's doing. So, um, I, he did it right there with some stuff people had not heard, but still ended up at the same place that we started at the beginning, which is this leaves you hungering for Jesus. Right. So you can start there at the beginning, like we did. And you could do it at, a, it's not elementary, that sounds less than, but at a first fruits, I guess is maybe what I'd say, knowing with excitement, there is a full bloom mm-hmm. of fruitfulness of even more depth if I spend time in this. And again, teachers may be more motivated to do that, and it's their call to help set the stage for that. But at the end, what we're doing is we're centering Jesus, and we're saying the Old Testament is 
the scriptures have got Jesus at the center. Uh, right. There's a, a, a flow of that that's powerful under the inspiration and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I can apply these scriptures to me personally. And so um, this, this uh, when we see Paul and we'll go into Galatians, he's going to lift up Isaac and Ishmael and Sarah and Hagar yeah. and make theological amazing points out of them about a, what we're going to talk about in another session about sonship and slavery <laughs> and you're looking at it so i'm saying is that when you're looking at it you're looking for more than yes the history get the history set right context is important yeah but out of it there was purpose in how the history was written right and for what essence that makes it applicable to me so i can read psalms 139 and go oh i was made in my mother's womb he knitted me together and that becomes now david's talking about himself if you will but he, that's personal Jeremiah, uh, who am I? And, and you know, and he's saying, and, and he deals with some insecurity or Moses, I stutter. You can start applying that. We believe in a very practical way to your own self, right? Your own insecurities, your own yeah, struggles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this, these are skills that teach you and you can go deeper and deeper in them. But at the end, they're all really going to end up there at Jesus and life in him mm -hmm. and the kingdom purposes that are around that. Right. Yeah. And in the commentary that we see about the Bible in the Bible, I'll tell us that, that we are meant to not just read this as, well, this is our history. Right. Or, or this is how we got a list of rules for good behavior that we try our best to follow today. Right. But instead, no, this this book is, is, is about God and it's about us mm -hmm. and it's about our need for, for reconciliation with him that can actually only come through his direct intervention and breaking into our lives through the person of Jesus, because nothing else ever worked. Right. I heard a guy say the other day in a podcast that the Bible is not a constitution. Yeah. Right. Sure. Right. It's much, sure. much more than that. Yes. It has much more power than a constitution. Because even the law, Jesus, they'll say, what's the greatest commandment? Remember? Mm -hmm. And he'll go and sum up and go to love. Right. Loving, that's what they all are doing. And if you start seeing that in do not steal, it's not loving to yeah. take. <laughs> do not murder. You see value for life. And so you get up under, you see the spirit of what's happening. And so we want to see people begin to have skill to know how to do that and make it personal, to find Christ, to commune with the Lord, to find purpose. And so teachers can set frameworks for even deeper understanding of that. But that's where we started and where we're going. Jesus is the alpha and the omega yeah. of what's happening through this process. And so, um, and even in understanding how we speak to one another and give words to one another. Um, the issue sometimes that happens from um, agnostic or atheist is they will use the very Bible we love and cherish to stand against the faith that we appreciate because they will find what they call quote unquote inconsistency. Sure. I, I used a lot of those when I was a Muslim to uh, prove yeah. that Christianity wasn't true. Yeah. So we want to address that because it's not you know, about also this. Okay. Why does Matthew have one demoniac there and Mark has two? see the Bob's not real. Right. Or the measurement might seem a little odd here or there. Or the historical right. point. And then all they, of a sudden, I, I can't believe. They, they bring they bring certain things under major scrutiny, but they don't essentially look at it holistically. Right. Right. Or they pull things out of context and right. things like that. And, and, I, so, yeah. and I think that's something we want to talk about uh, bumping up against the issue of our conviction about inerrancy is the Bible without error. And uh, and to talk about that, Nasser and I had a conversation about this a couple of days ago, but to, to have, because we have high, high regard for the glory of what the scriptures are. Right. But this is a stumbling point. It is for some. And so how we approach it as in not we we think you can approach it with all your mind and all your intellect and be impressed there there's no book like this Absolutely. this should be the most taught book in any university uh, manuscripts it's beyond the the, the close there's 5200 something manuscripts that attest to this that's just off the chart proven for intellectual people how they prove if an ancient document's true the closest right. one has got a few hundred 
Right. <laughs> like then, Homer and the Odyssey or whatever. Yeah, Homer and Odyssey. Right, right. Yeah. Then you go into the issue of the closeness of the date from which they were written. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's just, there's nothing compared to it. That's right. true. And then yeah. the, the confirmation and witnesses and then fulfilled prophecy, it, they, they couldn't even, you know, obviously in a, in a more intellectual, but it's clear that the prophecies were fulfilled hundreds of years later. There's no book like this. It's, it's off the chart. Uh, archaeology itself attests to what's happening here. It should be For the sure. most honored book on the planet. And so, um, so we're, we're with that. But even within it, I think there's the understanding that this is written, that these words are from God. Right. Under inspiration, but coming through human beings. Right. Who are not glowing. And there's like what? angel songs going on <laughs> around them while, you know, Paul is writing some of these in a prison or yeah. having a guy write for him because he can't, his eyesight's bad or whatever. And you know what I mean? And there's, there's all kinds of things happening there. And I, we just want to bump up against that to have, again, a high regard for the revelatory nature of the Bible. The Bible is inerrant without error in its revelation of who God is. Uh, it's been superintended over his mm-hmm. purpose in man, his, how this age is going to end all of that. Uh, yet how do we respond? Right. When we read a gospel and four witnesses are writing and sometimes about the same encounter, it's clear, but they have a couple details wrong. I mean, should that cause our faith to crumble about what the main intention of scripture is? Absolutely not. Why is that? And and I think we, we need to look at again, what, what is this, this book that we're reading? And if, if you're looking at it as this is meant to simply be a, like a Wikipedia article, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Where every, every paragraph, every sentence, maybe even every word needs to be scrutinized for, you know, is this internally consistent and, and, and exact with every other. So especially when you have four gospels, you know, well, that just, you know, really throws things off because, you know, there are parables that, that Jesus is, that Jesus, you know, tells in, in one story that's slightly this different, but mostly the same, maybe a different word was used right. or, you know, a singular instead of a plural here or there. And, and so did one of them mishear? Did they not, they get it or whatever, or did Jesus just tell that parable a bunch of times, which I think, you know, he didn't tell a parable just ever, just once. And then he never told right, it again yep. as he's going from town to town, to town, to town, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, one recorded it, the, you know, the, the way that, that most impacted them as the spirit was, was penning this through them as God was speaking through them for the, the purpose of that particular gospel. And I think, you know, I, more qualified people than I can sit here and tell you the unique perspective and theme of each of the four gospels isn't just telling the same exact story four times. Mm -hmm. It has a completely different, um, the, the end goal is all the same that we would believe that Jesus, you know, is the Christ, the son of the living God, and we'll turn to him for our salvation. But how it reveals who he is, it's audience, the, the nature, the, the, the characteristics of him yes. that they're drawing out, you know, mm-hmm. whether, you know, as servant or as King, right. as son of man, as son of God, you know, each of the four has a, a, an intended audience. Yes. And, a, and an intended, uh, facet of Christ's character. Jesus Christ was, was quite complicated. Yes. <laughs> he was quite a complicated guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I think it's, it shows the wisdom of God in that we, we, he didn't give us simply one, um, person, even under the inspiration of the spirit, one person's perspective on, on who he is and try to sum up all of those things. Mm-hmm. For example, the, story. Like the synoptic gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke are going to move along the same trail. So John sure. just goes off the reservation. He he's concerned with the, the deity and the mm-hmm. light, the revel, spiritual revelation of Jesus. Right. So seven signs he'll build his whole gospel and getting to the same, but all death resurrections common, right? Very common in some of the big figures, but the way they're coming at it is different. Exactly. Which, formulates and also makes a context where sometimes some of the details right. are a little different. Yeah. So where <clears throat> I guess where some people would consider, well, we have one account and that's a holistic account. We have four accounts and that's a holistic account. Amazing. So yes. that each individual account, each gospel gives us a, 
a different perspective or one facet or piece of who Christ is. Right. But we all conclude he's the Messiah. Right. And we find salvation in him. But then you kind of, you know, come at it from this angle and then this angle and this angle. So you get a 360 right. degree view of who Christ is from four different like a wit four witnesses on a stand about an right. encounter. Right. right. And I saw him come this way and it was this car and I saw this and I saw two cars and I saw, but either way it got down. That's the guy who robbed. Right. <laughs> right. So remembering what our main point is. Exactly. Is in essential. Right. Yeah. It's good. No, that's good. Yeah. Because rather than, um, yeah, yeah, I think if you there, there are people who come at the Bible and they read it in such a way that they're trying to pick it apart. Right. Right. And, and you, you can find those things, but it's not as though like, well, you know, God's not real because this doesn't line up. And if he really wanted to reveal himself to us, he would have made it to where we didn't find these inconsistencies. Right. And I think that's the difference that I'm going to drop perception. I'm going to yeah. drop a little bit of a prophetic scenario out of the scripture. Watch me do it. The tree of life and the tree <laughs> of the knowledge of good and evil. Am I reading this from, you know, if I read through one lens of I'm looking for the right and the wrong and I'm looking for some math kind of thing. I, I don't think the scriptures are math as much as they are like English. <laughs> you, probably, you know what I mean? And, which is sometimes seems inconsistent that word and is spelt and blah, blah, blah. But it's, con it's con concepts and spiritual concepts. It's life. The scriptures are life yes. and they're communicating life, something that transcends even knowledge of good and evil. And some, I think it's a lower view to come in there at that level. And that's usually used as an antagonistic thing against it. And it's not its point. And, and sadly, there are a lot of Christians who love the Lord with all their heart. And then they just hit a wall when some atheist comes with some argument. Right. And then they're just stumped. And our thing is we want to equip you not to not get into the argument, not sure. to win the argument. It's good. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't argue over whether Jesus, Paul said, I Close. left my cloak over there. Yeah. Bring the scrolls to me is the same weight as John three sixteen. Right. I'm like, let it be different. Yes. Close the Facebook window. Do not engage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And we just fall into the cul-de-sacs of these carnal arguments. Right. And we're not witnessing to Jesus anymore. And, and so I think that's important is we stay loyal to this is witnessing to Christ, to God's eternal purpose. And so when we go into these, we're all of a sudden fighting over jot and tittles about within mm -hmm. the scriptures. And right. the Lord's like, I never even really asked you to do that. <laughs> I used weak human vessels under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write down a witness that is radically consistent about exactly. what I wanted to say from heaven to earth. Enjoy, savor, and um, yeah, go deep in that. Yeah, so. exactly. And, you know, one, one of the things that was my go-to, you know, I, I would throw out the inconsistencies with the Gospels, but I'd also, like, going back um, into the earlier writings, the, the inconsistencies between Kings and Chronicles, yeah. which are retelling a lot of the same stories. Right, right. And sometimes names are different. Yes. Um, one of the, the big things that, that I would point out when I was Muslim was, uh, in, in, in one, it says that the, the, the Lord, um, sent an evil spirit on Saul. Right. And in another one, it says Satan did it. That's right. And I would pull this out as a Muslim and say, well, is your God Satan then? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and things like that. Right. And, um, you know, it was, it was really, you know, hard on, uh, on my wife, you know, who who love Jesus and is having these conversations with me as I'm trying to, you know, sort of browbeat her into Islam. Right. And uh, something that the Holy spirit said to me through her in one of these, these arguments, because she didn't know what to say to any of that, right. that they hadn't prepared her for that question right. in Sunday school. Right. Um, but what the, what the Lord gave her at that moment was look, even if there are inconsistencies and I don't understand why the whole Bible, the whole of it, is the same message about who Jesus is, why he came and the decision that we need to make, make about that. Yes. And the, those other little details, whether they're, they're right or wrong, or we just don't understand them. That doesn't change the overall, the, 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 the overall meta narrative, the overall yes. story of the whole of scripture together. Right. Like none of these little details affect that story. Right. One iota. Yes. So Jesus, so let's talk about that. And I, as a Muslim was like, yeah, that's good. I, I don't have anything to say. I don't know that's what to good. say now. What an apologetic, yes. spiritual apologetic your wife was yes. under the inspiration of the spirit. So right. Jesus, all authority in heaven and earth uh, given to me, go therefore and make disciples. Wait until you've all gone through five apologetic classes and then we'll reach the, 
It's clothed on power. Yes. Clothed with power from on high. Power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus alive, and we're going to take the world over. Right. So, and I'm pro the apologetic that supports the central issue. Right. But when it goes off the reservation and becomes a thing in itself, then all of a sudden we're worshiping our intellect and not Jesus. Yes. And so we're very concerned about that. So. So help me then, because you, you touched on something really great. So in Acts in the book of Acts, in the very beginning, we see the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, go and wait, I'll send the Spirit, and you'll receive power to be my witness, right? Yeah. And so, go and make disciples. Don't, you know, take the class and do the thing, and, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and then you're ready. So then, how then, in a healthy way, do we continue to engage the Scriptures and not make them the thing that's going to qualify us, but rely on the Spirit to qualify us? Through utilizing the word. That's a great question. And I think the answer is in how, what he gave us. Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit himself, he said, would be a teacher. Right. Uh, he gives teachers to equip the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. That means that it's a value to him to have construct that, you know what I mean, is kingdom construct that's important. So we're not saying, oh, just go through your day feeling your way through it. Right. The scriptures, Jesus uses the scripture as we start in the beginning. He's mm-hmm. valuing them. Um, and we see teachers given to the body of Christ. And that makes sense. But the Lord wants there to be value and we have relationship. And that's kind of where we wanted to kind of in this podcast is how we, I fell in love. I'm saved at 10. And by the time I just immediately loved the Bible. And all I liked at that point was comic books and I've talked yeah. about it pop tarts and a three-wheeler and so i but something in my heart with a king james bible that i didn't understand some of the language and the day by day with billy Graham just got in love with the bible and so how do we help people that wouldn't have that testimony that would say mm-hmm. i don't love my, i don't even like my Bible. i don't understand it i can't read well i don't how, how do we give some points here to help them love relationship with the bible right well I think we, we do, um, a lot of pushing on, on people in the church that they need to be in the Bible every day. Mm -hmm. They need to read a certain amount of the Bible, um, even, or, or not, or we even say, we'll just read a verse, whatever. And that somehow that is supposed to stir something up, just this practice. And I think. I would never say we, we shouldn't, we, I think we should read the Bible on our own time and, and spend as much time as, as we feel led. Cause it's, it's the same question. How long should I pray when I'm by myself? Exactly. Right. 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 Is, is it okay to pray for a minute? Should I pray for four right. hours? Do I get more bonus points with God the longer I right. can hold out? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people mm-hmm. treat the reading of the Bible the exact same, same way. way right. Exactly. And I think that there's, there's time to spend with the Lord in prayer and in reading the word. But I think both of those things are very valuable in the, the, the daily practice of a Christian's life. But I think what, what we miss out on is if that's, that's it, we're not living in the, in, in the, the fellowship in the community of the body of Christ. And just as when I pray by myself that there's, there's presence there, there's power there. But when I get with, with two of my brothers and we're all praying and our our hearts are all coming in agreement with the Holy spirit and how he's leading us, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a greater measure of power there. I think that when we open this book together Mm -hmm. and it is read out loud and the spirit is moving and speaking and, and, and he's, he's pulling out something of that, that, that maybe because of, of my past with him and my background, I, I have a unique perspective on and something different that, that Sam picks out and that you Jason pick out. And then, whoa, now we're getting a fuller and a fuller picture mm-hmm. of, of the dense, rich goodness that is in this book. And, you know, in Jesus's day, they would have gathered as a big group and read it out loud. And, and it would have not, not a chapter. They would have read, you know, for an hour or two mm-hmm. or more. Mm-hmm. And, and that was exciting for people. And, you know, we just had a, a Super Bowl, And I know a lot of people on, on Sunday, um, were gathered together and, and with friends, with family, and they spent several hours watching a, a very exciting game. Don't make me feel bad, Nasser. Sorry. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. There's celebration, there's joy right. in that. But sure. what would it look like if I invited my closest friends and family together and say, we're going to read the Bible together. Mm-hmm. And it's ex- this is an exciting book. I believe if we do this, God is going to meet with us. He's going to mm-hmm. reveal stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to see things in these pages that we've read mm-hmm. a thousand times and never saw before. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. That's, that's huge. Good. 
Yeah. It's good. And I think I, you know, and I, some of my, as I've thought through this question, as we were going to do the session, I'm, um, I, I think that there's a disconnect through warfare in the flesh between the person of Jesus and these scriptures. Mm-hmm. I know they're distinct, but my first impression thing to someone who says, I'm struggling with liking or loving the scriptures, I would say, well, I don't even want to, I don't want to ask you that first. I want to ask, do you love and like Jesus? Mm-hmm. Do, do you, why do you? Okay. Do you know how you know that about him? <laughs> That's written in here. You know what right. I'm saying? If you love Jesus and, and you're not saved, if you don't at some level love what he did, who he is, you're, you know what I mean? Then, then there is a quick a connection to loving the scriptures because the right. scriptures are about the one that's the center of your heart. And so I'm encouraging people, if you think about loving him and then think about that. Secondly, I remember knowing this is a supernatural book. Mm-hmm. This is not a normal book. When I read it, it's like alive. It's, it just felt alive to me, you know? Yes. So beginning to think and train supernatural book, we're drawn to that. I think in a, in a, in a real way. And thirdly, we had a house church the other night and you, some young man, 17 was talking about his struggles of reading the Bible. And I had a, uh, just a word came to me about n- nibble before you feast. <laughs> Stop mm. feeling like you've got to read the whole book of Luke. Take three verses or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Take a Psalm and just begin to savor and nibble and chew on a verse or two, mm-hmm. asking the Holy spirit to make it alive. Cause I think once you, it happens to you mm-hmm. <laughs> and a Bible verse becomes more than some words, like you begin to feel life and revelation. Mm-hmm. I think you become an addict for sure. And you, you begin, get hooked. And, and, it, and the more you can consume, the more you begin to recognize and appreciate the profound patterns yeah. that are in scripture. I don't think it's an accident that, you know, the, the Torah ends with, you know, oh, there's never been a prophet like Moses. And then the whole middle section of the writings is then, you know, the prophets and it's the same story, you know, all these prophets and not one of them were, were quite like Moses, mm-hmm. you know, not quite, not one of them. And, and we see, and then, you know, we have the, the, the kingship over Israel and, you know, Saul wasn't that great. And, and David was kind of okay in the beginning, but mm-hmm. then even he really messed things up towards the end. And then there was never, you know, Solomon, you know, was a mixed bag. And there just was after that though, there was just never a king like David and mm-hmm. Solomon again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as they tell these stories and it's so sad and you watch the Jeroboam's and, and all of these things. And, and you're, I think you're meant to, to, to hunger the same way you did at the end of the Torah, man, there's never been a king like, like David. Mm-hmm. If only there was another David and even, yeah. you know, the, the other, the other prophets will, will even make things like that. Make, make those statements like, oh, you know, there, there will be, Mm-hmm. There will be a king like David right. better than David because right. he won't, he won't mess around with Bathsheba, yeah. you know, he yeah, won't, he sure. won't commit murder, you know, and, and you get to the, you know, Isaiah and, and the suffering servant mm-hmm. who will represent Israel. Well, that's, that's the king's job to represent Israel. How is he a servant yep. and, and how is he to, to suffer and die and all of that? And then you get the third section, which are the writings, which is, you know, people kind of look at it's like the, et cetera, um, of the old Testament, but then you've got the, you have the Psalms, you've got the, the three wisdom books, you, you've got these, um, these narratives, you know, Esther and Ruth and Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and, and they're all great stories. I mean, some of really exciting, mm. you know, but they're all making you hungry for something else, yeah. for yeah. someone else mm-hmm. to come along. Because even in the best of these characters, th- these are all deeply flawed people doing the best that they can. Yeah. And there are promises that are hinted at and pointed to and a future kingdom and a future king. So that, but the time you know, that, that, uh, Jesus comes along. If you were entrenched in these, in these scrolls and in these stories and in these poems and, and all of it, you should have been hungry for his appearing. Yeah. Yeah. You should have been, mm-hmm. you should have saying, when is God going to send us the prophet like Moses, the King, like David, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the high, the real high priest, one like Melchizedek, who mm-hmm. won't have a beginning and an end because we get a good priest now and then. But, you know, <laughs> you look at the, you know, the, the, the entirety of scripture, for the most part, a lot of the priests were pretty bad. I mean, right. God's always complaining about, you know, his priests are not, are not, uh, you know, having the, the, the heart that he wants, mm-hmm. you know, they might go through the ritual and the, the, right. the burnt offering and the sacrifice, but that's not what he wants. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, he's more interested in the heart. When are we going to have a priest with a heart like God's? Yeah. Yeah. And then Jesus shows up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And fulfills all that. So the all scriptures stir our hunger, revelate mm. about him and give us language. And so I would encourage anyone who's struggling with a word to approach it in a, in a, in a, okay, it's Jesus. It's supernatural. It's drawing me to him. And, um, I'm going to, I'm going to trust him to take the little, I do. I've heard guys say, I can't read. I just don't ever read. And they're, they're reading mechanic books and building cars out there, you know, and, and, and that's, I'm just saying that it's not, don't do, you don't have to do that. You just say, I've got some warfare around mm-hmm. <laughs> interacting with this living supernatural book. <laughs> and so just pray for me, begin to pray it. I encourage you to take the little you read and turn it into personal prayer, you know, so that it becomes alive and real to you in a way. But I hope that what we're discussing here kind of stirs your heart, removes mm-hmm. some of the strongholds of arguments against it, yep. shows you there's way more than you've ever seen. Yes. It's exciting and thrilling, and it's centered in the person of Jesus Christ. Right. And I think that what you guys have done <clears throat> is given people listening a freedom to consume the Bible in various forms. Absolutely. Um, through reading or through, through reading a little bit or reading a lot of it or reading every day, or maybe not reading every day Yes. or listening to it. And so some of the most powerful times I've had interacting with scripture is when I travel for work mm-hmm. and I just put the audio Bible on yeah. and I'm listening to entire books for two or three hours at mm, a time, right? Just long form listening to the scripture. And then it got Daniel's ended up being one of my favorite books because I listened to the entirety of it. Yeah. Yes. And I'm like, you know, Oh, Daniel did a 21 day fast, man. Daniel laid his life down yeah, in right. intercession and had supernatural experience because he has a heart for God and a heart for fasting and prayer and for people. It's like, wow, he's right. like mm-hmm. a new hero in the faith for me. But I consume that long form listening. And so multiple ways to consume the scripture, don't get caught in just one way is the way That's right. or the way that you saw him do it. It may be a good way, right? but the Lord wants wants to interact with you and you're his child and each child is different and parents interact with children in a different way. And we would clearly say, do you have to read your Bible at some amount to be saved? The answer is no. The grace of God in Christ Jesus does that. But remove that leverage mm-hmm. from the enemy. Yes. It's saying you're less than, if you know of the atonement in Jesus Christ and you've received him, the grace of God saves you. Are you missing out on some of the fullness and the gift that God has given you because you're not reading the scripture? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. This is for your good, for your benefit. It doesn't earn you righteousness, but it reveals to you the glorious righteousness that you have not even begun to understand is already yours in Christ. Amen. That's good. Any closing res- remarks or was that it? I, that was it. I think that, that was, was it. it. Yeah, that was that's it. it. That's great. Yeah. So. Uh, we want to just make you guys aware of where you can um, subscribe and listen to the Disciple Nations podcast. Um, if you have an iPhone or an Android, you can go to iTunes and uh, search Disciple Nations podcast or go to Google Play if you need it that way. And you can also just listen through the website, disciplenations.net slash podcast. And so it's available in various forms. And uh, we want to continue to bring you stuff that's going to lift you up, encourage you, let you know that we love you. And we yes. are for your relationship yes. with Christ. We want to build you up. So Amen. thank you guys for listening. Perfect. Good yeah. job. See you next time. Yes.